0: This meeting is being recorded. Om Sahana Vatu Sahana Bhunaktu Sahviream Karvahai Lejas Vinavadhita Mastu Maavid Om Shanti 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 Anyone wants to recap from the last class or any highlights?
1: Yeah, last class will be tough
0: I think we spoke a lot about, you know, our own prakriti and based upon our prakriti is how we operate upon. Um, I think that was uh, that was the biggest part. And then I think the 3.30th, which is uh, one of the blockbuster shlokas, where you know the first half Mahi Sarvani Karmani represents the Bhakti Yoga, and then Mai Sarvani Karmani Sanyasya that's Bhakti Yoga, then Adhyatma Chetasa is the Jnana Yoga. And then nirashir Nirvamū, Bhūtva, yudhya swa vigat is the karma yoga. So, so I think that's a good way to remember that. You know, that's the, the shloka, which includes that there's no one path that we need to take. I think it's a combination of everything that we need to do. Um, I think the next one, uh, probably one thing which we did not discuss and which I just looked at was, you know, the two words that he uses is shriddha vantaha. Anusuyantaḥ. Uh, I think we did not touch upon that. That one who has Shratha and anusuyantaḥ um, is uh, one who doesn't have dosh uh, Trishti. You know, you're you're not trying to be judgmental, and you're not trying to find faults, etc., etc. I thought you know those two words were were key. I don't think we touched upon them. And then. Um, I think it was, yeah, again, that we we do work based upon our own Prakriti. Um, And then I think we said we'll touch upon 35 again today. So anyone wants to go on that one or any any other, actually. doesn't matter.
1: Is 35 the question or 36 is the question?
0: Actually, 36 is the question. But I think you had mentioned that maybe we should touch upon 35 as well, which is. Okay, no, not you then. Somebody else mentioned that, you know, that's the shloka where um, instead of doing your own swadharma uh, or I think the way it goes is even if you do somebody else's dharma well, uh, that is not good. It is better to do your own swadharma even if it is not done well.
1: Yeah, so no, no, this is, that was that was really nicely, but I remember it now. Yeah,
0: yeah,
1: it's like the, okay. sh- the Kshatriya, a Kshatriya doing uh, a Brahman's role yeah. well, yeah, is uh, is not good as good as the Kshatriya, Kshatriya doing his own uh, swadharma well, yeah, right, even if it is not
0: dull, done very well, it is still a better.
1: Practice. so if, if yeah. the Kshatriya doesn't fight well, yeah, uh, that is better than Kshatriya being a good sort of Brahman. Brahman, kind of,
0: yeah.
1: Yeah. 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 That was beautifully put, actually. I loved it. Yeah.
0: Okay, so 36, yeah, where it starts with the
2: Arjun's okay. question.
3: <laughs> yeah, that is a wonderful Whoa.
2: question. Yeah, one, one quick point on the word Shraddha. So, Swami C. also nicely mentioned that any activity that you do, you can only do it with Shraddha, uh, which I thought was very, uh, very beautiful because we, we loosely translated to faith then that loses all the import of it. And uh, Swami Paramaritananda has this very nice parallel code. Even scientists operate by Shredda except their Shredda is on the sense organs and observation and everything. So everything that you can observe through sense organs with the instruments is what they have the Shredda on. So yeah. that I thought was a very interesting. interesting. Yeah. And then the Shredda and the Vedantic thing is you take the Shruti Pramanam as, as important or if not Higher than anything else. Mm-hmm. Like just how you trust your eyes for the vision or your ears for uh, sound. That was...
1: and, and you know, what you mentioned Alpana in 31, I think, 31, 32, about Shraddha Bantaha and Anusuyantaha. I mean, that is so profound because as a non-seeker, I had exactly those two you know, thoughts. I would kind of not have faith in any of this spiritual sort of nonsense, as I called it then. And I was, you know, seriously sort of, I, I was always looking for faults and I was kind of finding a way to criticize it. And so in that sense, it was like very, very sort of telling because I was exactly in that same place.
3: yeah
4: No I agree I, I think it's the same similar to what when we read uh, let's say um, physics book by uh, let's say Stephen Hawkins or something like that we, we give it a certain um, we give the author a certain level of uh, credibility right yes due to their work and and it's so it's not the blind faith it is that credibility until like in, and then then to go in with that a uh, um, level of uh, faith, I mean, in that sense, right? Not the blind faith. Right? So uh, again, I'm, I'm with you, Ajay. I, I I I also used to be that way, and then and that's when I, I realized that it is it is just that it's just that initial thing until you are able to understand it better.
1: And and, and as an agyani if you will, I mean, we're still agni's in some ways, but as like a like a total agyani I mean, we were willing to have that faith and shraddha on a sort of physics text or chemistry or whatever we studied, but we don't have that for something as profound as the Vedas. And that just kind of tells how how sort of how back, how, how totally a jnani I was, like, you know, <laughs> in mm-hmm. a way, because, you know, I mean, physics and all is like, like you say, it's, it's all changing and uh, it's obviously from the material world, whereas something which is kind of permanent, and sort of uh, the ultimate reality, we look at it with some deep suspicion, and just um, feels very silly when I think about it. Now, but that's yeah, how it goes. <laughs> I, know, I agree.
5: Yes, we we lack the
0: discrimination that <laughs> we're slowly know, trying to build. You know, I think that's, <laughs>
1: that, that's actually the point. I mean, the Viveka yeah. was missing, right? I know the Vivek is online or not. But yeah.
0: <laughs> I think, I think that's the, sorry go ahead go
6: ahead go ahead i was just going to say it also is because we grew up with it right so when we were children we were we grew up with this thing that you know okay you know um, math physics chemistry these are all reality these are all the truth um, this was not coming from our parents but it was coming from the society whereas um upanishads and vedas were coming more only from our uh, so, uh, our immediate family and that too in a very um, I would say more on a religious manner right like today you have to get up and pray because I say so so I think as the children we then tend to kind of you know we all see our children right not believing like when I tell my child uh, even now I just half an hour back I told my daughter I have to go I have Gita class what nonsense Gita class what's happened to you <laughs> I think uh, I think that's the thing is our society is so geared up towards, uh, um, and so you know you have to when you become a part of the society you think that's the truth and then your experiences kind of push you towards exploring and seeing okay so I don't think it's uh, I think it's just a part of our journey I feel because if you didn't not appreciate this is what I feel. (laughs)
0: <laughs> yeah. And, and in, in my case, it was, you know, we, our family was not very religious, but um, I, I was, you know, reading all this in Amar Chitra Kathas and stuff. It, it was more like stories, right? And, and it didn't, not reality. It's like sort of like fiction and uh, the school subjects are more reality. So I think that also probably played, played into it for me. Yeah, no, I think that that was the point I was trying to make that, you know, one thing that British did was to kill our education system. And that is what was drilled into the heads that, you know, what is this, this is all bullshit and science is the way to go. That is the reality. And that got, and what didn't help was that when the traditions were being passed um, from generation to generation, the logic was somewhere left behind. So that definitely did not help. And it was easier to jump to the other side that, oh, science has logic and reasoning. So uh, it was, they didn't have to work really hard to move away most of the society uh, from. So so that is one of the things that British did to, to us that, you know, the, they completely said, oh, open issues, there's nothing to it, <laughs> it's fiction. <laughs>
1: So there were like three, uh, I was kind of reading something somewhere, and there were three definitions of Shraddha that I read. One is by Shankaracharya, who says Shraddha is a strong faith in the words of the Guru and the scriptures, right? Uh, Chaitanya Mahaprabhu says, Shraddha means strong faith in God and Guru, even though we may not comprehend their message at present. Which sort of resonated because I think we went certainly went through that serious phase where you were like, How does this work? Right. And then some I don't know who said this, but it said Shadha is faith that shastras are like mother who will never prescribe anything wrong to us. That was pretty profound, yeah.
0: Similarly, I read another, yeah, adding to it, this is more specific to the scriptures, etc. So when it comes to the Bhakti part, what is the meaning of Shraddha in God? So there are three things that come. One is the Shrejtabhav, Supreme, supremacy of of God. Um, We rely on that. And then the second is, second part is Ananyaprem. So when we say we have Shraddha in them, we actually love them, you know, without any distractions. That's the bhakti part of it. And then the third is you completely believe in the capability of God. So, unki samarthi par vishwas. So, ananya ananyaprem and samarthi par vishwas. So, those are the three things which constitute faith in God or shraddha in God.
1: Say it again, please,
0: sreshthabhav. Sh- sreshthabhav, that they are supreme. Right, Second right. Second is ananyaprem and, and it's both know. ways not just from our side to their side but that they also love us wholeheartedly and then the third is believing in their uh, capability Samarthya par vishwas. Samarthya. that they can be you know they can do anything <laughs> so that's the shraddha from the bhakti angle so yeah what you were describing was you know was a great definition but uh, this is more of yeah, yeah mein shraddha kyun karte so that one. Ajay, you were saying
6: uh, the scriptures um, would always show us the right path, right? One of the definitions of Shraddha. But I think the issue here is we, I mean, I'm going to speak for myself. I don't know Sanskrit, right? So I am depending on someone to translate this for me, right? And I think that's where it—or the problem starts arising. When the translation is uh, colored with my uh, view of reality, Um uh, and i think that's when then we start uh, not having the shraddha because uh, it does not um, it does not uh, whatever jive with my reality because the same thing can be interpreted in so many ways depending on which way you're looking at the same life right.
1: but interestingly uh, what Shankaracharya says is uh, having faith in in the words of the guru and the scriptures so to mm. me the guru is an important sort of bridge uh, yes. the, to the scriptures because you're right scriptures can be i mean the whole this the the scriptures are written in a re- relatively sort of uh pithy form right uh and a... sort of commentaries and sub commentaries and like a lot of detail around you know interpretation so i think the guru comes in there i guess and I having think, the right uh, guru, somebody you can relate to becomes important sorry Krishna.
2: no 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 just saying the same thing uh swami paramathan and also was mentioning this uh, during various lectures, that it's recommended that you don't read Vedanta or Upanishads without a guru, for precisely the same reason that we will tend to read only whatever already our vasanas or our inclinations are, and we'll just read part of it or misunderstand it, saying, oh, this says there is no God, or nobody created the world, or uh, you don't need to do karma, or like you can just read one sentence and then say, or oh, it just says don't do anything, just sit quietly, or uh, people will misinterpret it. And that's why he says most definitely need to read this only with the Guru. Uh, he actually makes a very funny point saying even more than the Vedanta nowadays, uh, the Itihasas should also be read with the Guru. Like for example, today being Ram a lot of people keep questioning various Rama's actions. Why did Rama do this or do that or did not do this and so on. And he's saying all of this again have like very powerful inputs what they are trying to teach. And if you don't get the full context and we get only a very high level story, we end up with uh, questioning the wrong wrong things. So yeah, no, if, if not anything, that's like one of the big lessons: have a guru and learn through the guru.
1: No, no, absolutely. In fact, the Mahabharata. I mean, now I've read it once, and I think I sort of appreciate some of the things better. Not fully yet, though. But you're right. I mean, reading the whole thing out of context can be can be dangerous. And just on the point of Swami P, at least the, I think I almost kind of heard him say that don't read the, the scriptures listen to them from a guru. I mean, he almost kind of said, don't, don't read the scriptures because you will get lost. And like you said, Krishna, you'll probably read what you want to read, right? So that was actually, that, that's an important point. He kind of emphasized on Shruti. He says, listen, listen. That's more important.
0: Swami, SPG also says in, in this context that, you know, yeah, there are some people who will say, oh, I don't want to read commentaries. I want to read the original. Yeah. because the commentaries are interpretations. But then he said, if you are reading, then it is your interpretation as well, right? Of what you're reading. How is it different? Might as well do it from somebody who's who's actually researched around it. And then rather than you interpreting one portion of it, because somebody asked him that question then. So, so he was responding and I said, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, you want to read the original, but it's your interpretation then.
3: But to be honest, uh, I wouldn't have understood anything at all if I just read the original without the commentary and interpretation of a um, realized person like uh, Swamiji or anyone like that. I wouldn't have understood anything at all. I feel uh, you know there's so much important you know packed into these uh, uh, small uh, verses that it is uh, almost impossible for uh, ignorant person like me to get anything out of it.
1: Totally.
0: I think even the commentary itself, it
6: will take us three, four readings before we understand. Forget the original. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, no, so true. <laughs> I mean, I,
1: I, I listened to Swami SPG's uh, uh, sorry uh, shloka 27 of chapter 3 and he had a whole one and longer than an hour lecture on it and I have to say I kind of got lost halfway but uh, that's just you know four lines in like about 70 (laughs) minutes so (laughs) that's bizarre were there
0: anything you want to want to share from remaining stokers
3: before you have to drop off uh, i thought uh, i thought it was so wonderfully put right about uh, how to manage desires the, where they where the desires uh, reside within our own what we call the self between the sense organs and the mind and the intellect and uh, you know how meditation is the way we can get desires i i thought it was very uh, concisely put and very powerful messages towards the end of uh, chapter three. I thought it was just superb uh, the way this chapter has been constructed. Uh, Yeah.
0: Yeah, and it all started with that question in um, Shloka thirty-six. So where Arjun asks, right, that you know what, um, because most of us know what is right, right and you wrong. Know, Correct. Yeah. yeah. why do we do wrong things, and why can't we you know do the right things? What is it that that propels us, you know, into into doing so? So Swami S.P.G. Uh, he gives a very interesting this thing that when Krishna went to Duryodhan to make peace, and he started telling him about some things, and Duryodhan said, "I know what is right, but I just can't seem to do it, and I know what is wrong, but I can't stop myself from doing it." Yeah. And he said the difference is that Arjun is asking how is it and how to overcome it, whereas Duryodhan just assumed that this is how it is and nothing can change it, and I don't want to change. So that
3: was the big difference why he didn't get Gita and Arjun got the whole Gita. So, so true, isn't it? Yeah, so You're uh, shielded by, as they say in the second, uh, whatever, 38th uh, sloka, right? That uh, the a mirror covered by dust, Just you cannot just see the reflection when it is covered by dust, right? It was so much, of, in, in the case of Duryodhana, that was the, uh, thing right he was so uh, what do you call it? uh, uh weighed by the strong desire that he just could not go past it uh, knowing that one and by the way i found that uh, that shloka was uh, really really revealing really, you know those words are so innocuous uh, the free uh, you know Fire enveloped by smoke, mirrored by dust, and embryo by the womb—they—they they look like you know. Why are you saying, giving so many examples for the same thing, and then the way the interpretation is for each of those three things? Uh, yeah, that was uh, truly, truly uh, very profound. You—you you just cannot understand so much by reading uh, uh, just the direct
1: shloka. Uh, yeah. And, and what I loved, uh, Uday, about those three uh, examples, I can't remember them, maybe I can. One, he said, was fire and covering yeah. the...
3: Smoke, smoke, smoke covering, covering
1: the fire was the first. The second is... The, uh, remind me. That's, dust covering the mirror. mirror. Yeah, the dirt right. covering the mirror. And then the third one was the body covering the moon. Right? yeah Yeah. Right. And, you know, when I thought about it, I mean, you know, if you look at the first example, you blow the smoke away and you can see the fire, although it can right. ignite it also, but you can blow it away. The second one is, you know, you've got to put in more effort and you've got to polish it and clean up the mirror, which is harder than the right. first one. And the third one is obviously uh, the hardest as uh, you know, every woman in this group will know. Uh, and, and in a way, sort of, we were saying that you know, different people, in a way, this was a good example to say different people need different level of uh, you know, yoga. To kind of clear that that uh, that covering, right? Yeah. And to me, that was like really profound because it's. Uh, I mean, the, the choice of examples was, was was pretty interesting.
3: Seriously, and you know, just reading the shloka, I understood it. Means, if I were to equate uh, uh, Sattva and rajas and tamas to each of these uh, three examples, right? Mine would have been the reverse, right?
2: Uh, It was just me.
3: I thought the embryo and the womb—that example was very, very, uh, what do you call, uh, natural or you know, nature does—and it should be closer to sattva. Just my, uh, you know, when I was initially reading, but then then when I read the explanation, I thought, wow, there's so many shlokas, right? Uh, Yeah. Yeah.
2: It indicates the amount of work that we have to also do to kind of ascend from one plane. Uh, to, yeah. the, to the next level. Uh, on a similar note, there's like a lot of places where in Gita, the, when there are three things mentioned, it is always mapping to the three gunas. Uh, yeah. That's one uh, observation. And the other one is uh, uh, since Kishore mentioned the music, so for the three mumvurthis, uh, uh, they explain the songs as, uh, their different songs styles as three fruits. So they say, Swami, Thyagaraja's songs are the easiest and it's like grapes. You directly put it in your mouth and you can start eating. And then Muthu Swami their songs are like banana. You have to peel the skin and then you have to eat. And whereas uh, Shama Sastrigal's songs are like jackfruit. You have to break it and then take and then completely do a lot of work before you can get the fruit. So they map it to the three fruits. And I saw here also the three gunas map to the three examples, the amount of work that need to overcome each one of them. Uh, the ascending order was uh, just
1: beautiful yeah sure
4: yeah you know i i'm actually listening to uh, Swamiji's uh, kata upanishad right and this comes up there too uh, as part of the um, what is called the ratha kalpana right or the uh, chariot analogy and he uh, he talks about this exact same thing and refers to this uh, specific um, uh, sloka there um, uh, of you know so for um, some of you may not be familiar that he uses the chariot analogy um, uh, to actually explain the chariot the analogy has the chariot being the body right uh, the uh, jivatma being the passenger the buddhi being the uh, the charioteer right? The sense organs being the five horses, and then the reins being the mind. So, um, and obviously, and the path on which it travels, and all the, is basically all the sense objects around in the world. So, that would be the world, right? So, talks about how, um, even if you have the buddhi, right? So, he's talking about each one separately at this point. I mean, I've not completed it, but at this point, you know, in these um, strokas of the Upanishad, it talks about Buddhi, even if Buddhi is there, right? You really want to, you know where you want to go. You know how to go there, right? In in the horse analogy, the charioteer knows, okay, the passenger has told him or uh, him to go to a certain place. And he knows that, he knows the way there. But then if one, if the horses are not in your control, right? You cannot get there or if the reins are not good and it doesn't restrain or give the right signal to the horses, even then it cannot take you to where you want to go, right? So then he talks about how um, even if you have the right intentions, you've read the scriptures, you have, you've been doing this uh, uh, again and again, but then if you don't have the proper reins, if the, um, uh, if the horses don't listen to you, right? And you cannot uh, control them, uh, uh, and then there's no way you can reach there, right? So uh, it talks about that in the exact same uh, thing. So um, this was another, the, the second part of this was, so having that buddhi, right? Ha- uh, the right, um, um, what do you call that? He calls that discrimination, right? Having the sense of where I want to go, that itself is an important one. A lot of people don't get that. So having knowing where you want to go and how to go uh, you know what is the path is one. So that is vivekam, right? Having the right reins is damaha uh, which is the uh, restraint of the mind, and restraint of the of the sense organs is Shema, right? So uh, without these three, the the journey cannot be completed. Uh, is how he puts it uh, in response, and he kind of connects it back to this sloka also. Okay. So that, that that I was, I mean, so really amazing to see how all of these things finally, you know, come from the Upanishad and in stated in different ways as well, right? So it's beautiful. Very nice,
0: Shanta. You had raised your hands
5: very yes. Yeah. I did. So so. I know you're discussing far ahead. Now I got confused with should, it says we should not have desire, right? Maybe, maybe I'm not clear on the word desire. So if you have a goal, like as a student, right? Um, I need to, the, the goal of the student is to understand all the subjects well, and of course to get first rank. That's what is a simple goal for them. So there will be, is that, the desire is to achieve that, goal right so when we say do not have you should not have desire what is the meaning of the word desire now i'm i'm now uh, not clear on that itself what is the meaning of the word desire here you, give me give me an example with that student example
0: yeah so i think last time we were discussing it a little bit the way I understand this, the student performing well is its his dharma. It's not his desire.
5: Performing well is one thing, but to work towards that, right? They have to work towards that.
0: Yeah, so that's his dharma. That's not a desire. Then what Unless is desire? A desire will be the student wanting a car. Is a desire.
5: Oh, something okay something unreasonable
0: actually not even
5: unreasonable wanting a good meal also is a
0: desire from a student's perspective but it becomes mom's dharma to to make at least what the student wants so that you know he he's well fed etc etc so that's the difference between a desire and a dharma first of all right and we we said that we need to have a goal. Otherwise, what action will you do yeah. without a goal, right? Mm-hmm. But that doesn't mean desire is more of uh, um, what did we discuss last time?
5: Um,
0: the desire actually, shouldn't be I
5: should beat Alpana to become a 10-pointer. Desire yeah. should be I should become 10-pointer. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> right. right. So,
0: so I think uh, uh, okay. another place they say is uh, desire is more for um, m- more like objects is a yeah. desire. Whereas goal is what you want to achieve in life more like that. But then yeah, promotion becomes a desire. Yeah. But the goal is to do well, to sustain my family, to do all that and that also becomes the swadharma. It is a little tricky but I think the, mo- the more we say is like needs and wants. Needs will not be considered as desires. Wants are considered as desires. That's a now good bit. About it, yeah. Okay. Right. Thank you.
4: In the in the student example, I think if you see that the student, um, you know, once they have passed, let's say a certain age, they, they kind of know what is, what needs to be done. In the sense, they, they kind of know their dharma, it's built in that they know that they need to do well, or they need to do this and that. But then uh they let's say i'll speak for my own sons, uh they spend more time on uh let's say gaming or talking to friends and uh, so that would be something that's pulling them um uh you know th- that's their sense organs in some in many ways pulling them into things that uh um, and their mind for that matter uh, pulling them into things that is, it's away from um what they know internally that they need to do right so uh You can look at it that that way too. So the desire, when I say mine, well, they're tuned to the fact that hey, I I need to be on the phone and I need to play this game or I need to do this other thing um, for a certain period of time. That's giving me a certain amount of joy uh, or (laughs) uh, or temporarily uh, happiness, if you will. And they just keep going back to that. Internally, they kind of know, yep, you know, I have these assignments that I need to complete, um, and that's part of my duty. But hey, you know what? I'm not able to say no to this. And I, I'm doing this anyway, right? So it's not just uh, students. I mean, we, we think we want to wake up at five in the morning and do certain things, uh, uh, you know, yoga or meditation in the morning and it doesn't happen on a daily basis, right? So we know that you this is to bring the right that point. point, but it doesn't happen. And so okay. what is it that makes us not do it, right? So one way of looking at it is I mean, I, I experience this in my own thing. It's, it's there are times when you feel tamas just taking over. It, it it just makes you feel lethargic. I mean, there are times when uh, it happens, and we can recognize that. Um, or and one way to get that out, get out of that, would be to start getting more and more active in in some ways, and then to eventually. Uh, see that but but also uh, the power of discrimination you know that uh, um, doing this what is what is the outcome if you do that and if you don't do that what is the outcome and let that kind of drive you from the inside out saying hey this is uh, um, what you want to do right this is what needs to be done right so but we give I mean uh, the strength of the sense organs and the mind is so so much that uh, again, going back to this chariot analogy the the horses and um, uh, and the reins and the reins are loose and the horses are running amok, right they're going their own direction so we are we are veering away from where we want to go right I mean that's kind of how the analogy works you know so it seems to happen in the same way we. Um, we end up uh, surrendering to the sense organs in one way or the other, whether it's lethargy to get up in, uh, in the morning or to go for this additional round of uh, eating or food or whatnot, um, and we give in to that without actually the um, my uh, the buddhi being engaged, right? So we are not very conscious when we do this also, and um, um, and typically the intellect is not uh, is getting overpowered, if you will and we just give in, right? So um, I would look at desires also from that direction of things that are, are pulling us from the sense organ. The sense organs are pulling us and, the, the, and overpowering the intellect in, in, in that sense, right? So we are veering away from what would be our Sodharma at that point. Thank
1: you. <laughs> I mean, another way to think about it is that uh, desire is anything that... If you differentiate between a desire and a goal, anything that sort of uh, distracts you from your goal is a, is a desire, right? Uh, so that's one way I, I, I think about it. The other thing, which is like sort of from Swami Ji's kind of discussion, was that the whole sort of battle at the end of it is between the mind and the intellect, right? The mind will kind of get swayed by the desire. The intellect will be the rational faculty, uh, which will, which is what Duryodhan was saying, that look, I know that, that it is wrong, but my intellect just doesn't let me let me sort of do it. And so what Swamiji said was uh, Swami Guru Paranandaji, uh, he said was profound because he said, at the end of the day, all of Vedanta is nothing but the uh, but the sort of I like, with the word basically kind of the coming together of the alignment
2: of alignment,
1: alignment of mind and the which is the mind and the intellect. intellect yeah as long as the intellect listens to the sorry the mind listens to the intellect yeah you're good right um, so in a way sort of if you so if you if you summarize it you're saying your desires are anything that sort of distracts you from the goals and uh if you're if and, and how do you kind of you know control your desires you need to kind of you know get your mind to be to be stable such that the intellect and the mind are aligned i think
3: mean, that's beautiful said, actually. Yeah. 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 yeah
0: yeah yeah and a and, uh, similar thing but in a des- in a goal yeah you want to get something but the desire is that I want that goal to be achieved now what come may I want that goal to be achieved that becomes a desire exactly. a, goal, a,
1: goal, a goal pursued without karma yoga becomes a desire
0: correct yeah <laughs> and I know. yeah yeah i i think that works well as well and so but the goal is that you put in the effort to get that goal but whatever the outcome is i will accept that so it doesn't mean that you become uh, you know slack about that goal you have to put in your full effort because that's your swadharma then <laughs> but you don't because the outcome is dependent on multiple things, not just your effort. So as long as the outcome is different, not because of your effort that was put in, but because of other unseen uh, circumstances, it is fine. Your mind will be able to uh, accept it as well. It'll not get agitated because you know I did well what what I could. So that's
2: the that's the difference. I think. No, oh, sorry. <laughs> go ahead. Go ahead. I think the other way uh, it's phrased this non-binding desire. Binding desire and a Mm. non-binding desire. Mm. Uh, One another addition is uh, we have to be clear that spiritual enlightenment or moksha, what we seek is also a desire, but it's one of the important desires that's like an exception to the rule. And uh, Swami Paramatananda and Swami Guru Parananda both actually mentioned on this point that we all have this on our list and then initially it kind of starts off way down in the list. We don't. And then as we start thinking, oh, this is the one that is actually going to give me the calm and peace and happiness that I'm seeking, it kind of moves up on the list. And the more important you give it, uh, importance you give it, the higher it goes up on the list. And uh, he uses the word, then it kind of becomes a cannibal. And then it starts eating all the other desires. And when it is the only desire that remains. That's like one of the uh, highest goals one can aspire for. From where you can get that self-enlightenment, moksha, or the atman that uh, we all seek for. So that's the uh, point we keep moving to.
5: I thought, I thought when you do karma yoga to the full extent, this desire also becomes not so important to achieve moksha. I thought that's how it will be, but maybe it,
2: it merges. You you said it actually beautifully. right? There are three stages. Uh, Swami S.P.G. mentions this work and worship, and then it becomes work as worship, and then finally work is worship. So it all yeah. merges beautifully. Bhakti yoga, nyaya yoga, yoga.
0: I will say the same point. You know, Krishna, what you were saying about the desire. Uh, just to add it to that one little thing, which Swami S.P.G. had said was: see, the desire for any of the anatma objects, um, even though it'll get fulfilled but it doesn't ever get truly fulfilled because then the goalpost post changes. So it keeps changing, right? Whereas the other desire for self-realization is the only fulfilling one. Once it is fulfilled, you will not have any desire left. So, yeah. so that's why that desire is not called as a desire because it's actually the one which is the most fulfilling one and the ultimate desire. And Once that is done, then nothing else is left.
1: Several months yeah, one, ago, uh, we used, we, we, yeah, I, I, I read a phrase or we, we spoke about a phrase called sublimation, which I have to say I didn't understand then, but now it's crystal clear, which is that you just let this desire sort of become bigger and bigger and just reduce the other desires, that sublimation.
2: I think uh, one point I want to add was also we are talking about the terms swadharma and paradharma and also in the Shloka, um, that terms generally tend to be very confusing. I used to be very confused about it and always think, oh, if I were in a particular job or different thing, then Swadharma would be easier. But no, if you do Karma Yoga, whatever you are supposed to do is your this uh, is supposed to be the thing that you are supposed to be doing. Uh, it's confusing. I said it in the wrong way, but uh, hope you got it. Um, uh, mm. The one interesting thing, Professor V.K. mentions is uh, the definition of Swadharma and Paradharma from uh, the Vedanta itself. He says anything that helps you go towards that moksha is Swadharma, and anything that does not is Paradharma, which he thought was a very succinct simple and it. simple definition. So, at all point, if you can ask, hey, is this helping me in uh, Antakarna Shuddhi, Chitta Shuddhi, and Chitta e kagrata, and then, and doing good for the maximum number of people possible, then it is Swadharma. And anything else, it moves your way.
1: So, there was one other thing I wanted to add, which is that you know, in, in the same uh, chapter, we've also uh, sort of read the word uh, Swabhava. Right? And, uh, you know, kind of saying that, look, if you might be born a, a Kshatriya, but if Swabhava is one of a Vaishya, for example, that's okay. You should follow your Swabhava and and, and move forward, right? And so somebody said, what happens uh, if my Svabhava is X, but for a variety of reasons and circumstances, I end up you know, doing, having to do something like a job, which I don't like, but I'm just you know, in that job and I need the money to feed my family and all that good stuff, right? So he says, look, ideally you should follow your Svabhava because that will, be, that will make your actions easier. that's your that's your kind of you know that's how your gunas are kind of aligned right but in case you are stuck with something which is not your sabhava, still follow your swadharma so swadharma is that sort of common denominator which uh, you need to follow whether you're in a happy place or not in an unhappy place if you're not happy figure out a way to be happy because that's the only option. So, I I, I mean, I, I was reading it because I, I was thinking about it. That like, you know, there's so many people in this world who are doing things which they just have to do by force. How do they kind of align themselves to the whole karma yoga sort of approach? And uh, Swami P says, you don't have an option. Just just if, you, if you're in that space, do your swadharma, which is to do your best in whatever you do.
2: Yeah. Yeah, he says the, like I said, two steps. So step one, stop complaining about anything, be neutral. And then step two, like whatever you are doing, so you will do what you like. That's- correct.
1: I, I thought that was really kind of helpful because, you know, you kind of think about it and say, look, there's so many people in this world who are doing really stuff, which is just to drag them.
0: So I do feel whatever you're doing, you can showcase your swabhava in that you know that's how leaders appear you know that's yeah. how so so you can so technically i feel even if you think or oh, you should be fighting or not studying you can do the same thing even in what you are doing based upon your swabhava playing that role you know, that's why yeah, saying,
1: i yeah you can you can certainly showcase your swabhava in anything yeah. you do you're right it will come
0: actually it will whether you want it or not it will yes
2: eventually I think Swami SPG has a funny example for the Swadharma for Arjuna he thinks he will go to Himalayas and be at peace but if he goes to Himalayas, eventually he will start like an organization for oh we are not getting all these things in our ashram, and then he will start and start fighting there will be a leader.
4: You know, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Actually, I think it is uh, Swami P. Who says he'll become a union leader there and fight for the you know monks' rights. Uh, <laughs> <Yeah. in> Himalayas. <laughs> right. Yeah. yeah. That'll be his vasanas basically. <laughs> it drive him to that. Yeah. No, that comes later also, isn't it? No, or did it come already? The, the um, yeah, it did. Um, uh, was it Mithyachara? I mean, that's where we yeah, also spoke. yeah. Yeah, it came
2: I think the shloka goes like, if he renounces everything and goes and sits in Himalayas, but his mind is wandering and indulging with sense objects, then he's a Mithyachara, is a hypocrite.
4: Right. Now, th- there is one more aspect when you look at it from um, a, a slightly different perspective here, which is that when, when you know, we can observe this in ourselves during the day um, when we are doing things, there are often things that we probably do without, I would call it quote unquote mindlessly, but actually without uh, the intellect being um, participating. So in, in other words, we're not, f- uh, uh, we not fully engaged, we're not fully um, it's not coming from a deeper uh, from deeper inside you. Instead, we are responding to things that, so it's happening at the layer of sense organs and mind uh, and without a full backing of the intellect in, in, in some sense, right? So we're not fully in it. Um, so we could call it not fully mindful. That could be a way of stating that. So um, I catch myself i try to rather, whenever I'm doing those things, or, you know, you're in a, meet, you're talking to somebody, you're not, let's say it's just passing by and you're not like fully engaged, right? So I, I look at those op- as opportunities to kind of bring the intellect back in. And this is the alignment, I think, Swamiji, and I, I think when they, when you met, he's talking about saying, is the intellect always there with the mind and driving the mind and the sense organs and it's flowing in that direction. Um rather than the mind pulling the intellect or covering the intellect as it's mentioned here in three different uh, ways. So, so so then intellect is not participating, right? It's, it's just coming out of uh, whatever is in the mind and the sense organs are taking it in different directions. But if the intellect is not present, then you kind of lose out on where do you really want to go? Um, And, and that part is brought in by the intellect. So an example would be, um, okay, you're, you're having to do something that, you don't actually like to do, let's just say. Um, But the intellect might come in and say, hey, but hold on, your your higher goal is Chitta Shuddhi. And if this thing that you're saying you don't want to do is required uh, to get there, then, hey, you know what? This is also a good thing uh, to do it, whether you quote unquote like it or not at this point. This is something for a higher goal, um, we need to do this. Right, so that is the type of stuff that the intellect is going to bring into the table. But if that is not there, we are going to really not like what we are doing. And once this discrimination comes in from the intellect, then even that part um, could be enjoyable, right? So, or at least we want, we can tolerate it better, um, at least at least, right? So, yeah, I, I see this as also being connected to being mindful in, in that sense. When they say mindful, it is the intellect participating in that, whatever you're doing at that very moment,
0: right? The three examples that are given, they also refer to, um, the Maya uses three ways to cover the gyan, right? Mal, vikshep, and avaran. So, mal is the dirt, so which is same as the dirt on the mirror And then wick shape is it shows something that it is not so this is like smoke on the fire you can't see the fire and smoke is something which is very different from fire in terms of how it's seen and then avaran is the is the covering on the the room so so they three refer to the three three ways maya uh, hides the reality Mm -hmm. and avaran
4: There's one more here, if I may add, um, from the from the yoga um, or the yoga sutras perspective, right? They talk about um, pratipaksha bhavanam, right? Or in this case, when there's a strong desire for something and the intellect, then we, we train the intellect to, to kind of, again, it's part of discrimination, if you will, to say that, hey, you know what? Even if you achieve that, you, you know that it's not permanent, uh, you know, as I think we just, uh, Alpana, you just mentioned, the goalpost is going to change. So the, why are we still kind of, uh, even if we know that, why are we still craving for that, right? Yeah, um, yeah even though we know that that particular thing that we, uh, once we achieve, that's going to go away um, uh, in, a, in a few days, weeks, whatnot, and then it's not permanent. That is very clear. But then, so can we reiterate? So that is the Pratipaksha bhavanam that we can develop that will slowly blunt the, the sharpness of this, uh, um, this craving, if you will, right? Because you're reiterating, reiterating again and again that, hey, you know what? Even if I somehow get that uh, car, after a few days, uh, I, I, I'm not, no longer going to enjoy that car right? In the same way. So why don't we reiterate that when the desires come in and we are aware of it, right? So um, that is the other I will, mechanism, if you will, right? I don't know if it's mentioned in this context, but uh, it just, uh, this is something in the yoga sutras that they talk about quite a bit.
0: Yeah, to, to the same explanation, actually Swami SPG says, I mean, not in this way, but he says that nature works like that it will promise you that you will get so much happiness and by anything but it doesn't give you that much it gives you little less than that enough for you to propel propel you to do that but not enough for you to feel fulfilled so then you keep going and that's how the world works right the nature always promises more than what it gives
1: Kishore I didn't quite understand this Uh, when you said Pratipaksh Bhavana how does
4: it uh, counter desire? So the, the let's say there's a strong desire or a craving for something, right? Let's say uh, an object. Uh, it could be a house, a car, a relationship uh, or, or traveling to some place and whatnot. But, um, and that strong desire is causing all kinds of agitation in your mind. Right? You really want it. You really want to get that. You're anxious to get that as well as will I get it? And... Uh, Will it happen? Will it not happen? Those are completely uh, enveloping your mind and a lot of your actions are now based on that or colored by that. Now, asking yourself, this is where, you know, coming, speaking from the intellect thing, um, asking yourself, is this, even if you did get that, is it going to stop this, right? I mean, what are you going to really achieve? Is that going to be permanent? right? Is, is that happiness that you think you're going to get from that, is that going to be permanent right. and understanding that it is not right. And it's going to fade away. Even if you did get happy for a certain period of time, it's going to fade away sooner or later. So it's impermanent and, and, and no, I, I so reiterating so that
1: a mental conversation is what I'm at. it from a different standpoint.
4: Yeah. To reiterate yeah. that and bring it up saying, Hey, I see this craving, um, and I can counter it by asking myself, "Is this permanent? Right? Uh, it's not going to be permanent." And re- reinforcing that part reduces the craving.
1: No, I, I agree. I mean, the way I understood pratipaksha always was looking at it from another person's standpoint, whereas the way you describe it you look at it from a different standpoint, I mean, your own different standpoint, as opposed to Correct. how you're doing. Correct. It's an
4: opposite I mean, thought that you um, is, that you bring.
1: Own opposite thought as opposed to somebody else's, yeah, that's right. Exactly.
4: Got it, yeah. A conscious, uh, uh, opposite thought as against almost an uh, uh, unconscious desire that comes in because you don't control that, then you bring it, bring forth a conscious thought which is the opposite of that to blunt that one, right? So, that's how they. um, that's how at least I understand and and I try to implement, um, yeah, so.
1: Okay, and, and sorry, before Chitra, I know you, you got your hand up, but I wanted to ask Altna a question. Can you help me understand when you said Avarna and Vikshepa relating to the example of fire and the boom? Can you just explain that a little bit? So,
0: so Avarna is a covering. So,
1: yeah, Avarna is a covering, so that I understand. That's the, That's, that's yeah, the. right.
0: And, and is you see something which is not. So actually, there is fire, but you right, can't see right, the fire. Right. Instead, you are right. seeing this balloon of smoke. So it's big shape. <laughs> okay, understood. Chitra? Yeah,
6: so um, while you guys were talking, the thought came to my mind. So what about uh, this desire to be healthy? Is it a desire or not?
0: If it is a desire to be healthy, to be able to follow this spiritual path and to actually lengthen your life so that you achieve moksha in this life, it is a healthy desire.
4: Again, uh, going back to the, um, the Katha Upanishad, uh, where they're talking about the chariot analogy, talks about the char- So, without the chariot being in reasonably good shape, if the wheels are going to come off, you cannot reach the destination, right? Even if you want wow. to, if uh, you know, the, it is mind-blowing how this this analogy works so perfectly, um, and to explain so many different things. Um, and uh, it, it's I was blown away. I, I know I'm listening. I, I've kind of heard it, but when you hear it from Swamiji at, at, at uh, in this length, uh, it's just phenomenal. So in, in, anyway, so without the chariot being available. I, even if you really want to get there, you cannot get there. So it is important to keep it, um, uh, keep it in a pretty good shape, but giving over importance to that does not make sense, right? If, you know, that is going to take over everything that we do, I mean, you just want to keep it in a good shape and, and could, uh, good enough to, for us to travel, right?
0: Yeah. So Swami, so mean, SPG says, desire in itself is not a problem. It becomes a problem and it starts controlling us.
3: Yeah. Mm.
0: And another thing he said was, uh, uh, to a jnani, uh, desire is always a cause of suffering. Whereas for an agyani, when we desire, we think it is it'll be the cause of happiness.
1: Mm. Well said. Okay. Yeah.
6: So, quick question on the same thing. So, we uh, the desire for physical health also leads to worries, right? Because, um, say, uh, you know, I'm not physical, Whatever. Let's take the example of COVID. I'm you know, down with COVID, or I'm going to get COVID. I need to wear a face mask. So, this is what is the desire? The desire is I don't want to fall sick. I I, I want to be healthy. Um, so how do we uh, justify this? That means it's creating a fear or it's creating worry or it's creating uh, the I forget that that whole channel of you know finally ending up in I think anger or something. <laughs> I can't remember the path, how the desire takes. One of the places we read. So how do we how do you get out of
0: it? So I think you take precautions that you can, and then you have to leave it. So similar to, you know. Yoga, right? You do the best you can and then yeah. you leave it. So fear is not, both fear and uh, worry are Asuri qualities. We study them in chapter 16. They don't, they only create anxiety, they don't create the solution. Yeah. So, so as much as what you can do, wear a mask, you know, use hand sanitizer, don't go out much unless it's really needed. Those things you follow, but then if it happens, it happens, we'll deal with it when it comes to Absolutely. Similar to Karma Yoga. yoga. Karma Yoga, yeah. <laughs> do your best, whatever best can be done. And the outcome will be what it, what's there, what we, the situation we have to face.
4: Our outcome is obviously controlled by so many things that we don't. Many
0: control. other things, right? What others can do.
4: <laughs> yeah, That's so many things important. we don't control, right? <laughs> so we can only do what we, what we have within do. our sphere of control
6: i also wanted to what to show you were talking about mindfulness right um even uh, doing uh, brushing your teeth mindfully actually can make a lot of difference yeah uh, you are talking about big things, but i'm talking about like even very small, small daily thing,
4: eating and doing anything for that matter yeah you're right uh, uh, so what i'm realizing when they say mindful and in this context um yeah it is basically the intellect being an active participant. Usually when we, when we see doing mundane things, we just do it mindlessly. When, what, what does mindlessly mean? Uh, we, we, our intellect is not participating at that point. We're not like engaged, we're not in the moment. Then what does that mean again? Because other thoughts have come in, we're just lost in these other thoughts, right? And then we're just doing things. Intellect being present it means that those other thoughts, random thoughts, are not are fewer or not there, and you are. Which means what? Which means you are in the moment. The the when you say you are in the present moment, like actively in the present moment, it means that there are no other thoughts enveloping your um in your mind. You are right here because the moment you are in um, engaged with some other thought, you're not in the present moment. The moment. So it's kind of uh, opposite of each other right mutually exclusive so uh, in the moment means not having too many thoughts that you are engaged in they're just passing by you're not engaging with them so, which means you are engaged in whatever you're doing whether it's brushing whether you're eating reading a paper or or even walking for that matter you're like literally there See, it's not easy so but when when people like Eckhart Tolle they talk about power of now and being engaged in the present moment, or the mindfulness side, they talk about it, I'm now connecting this to, um, again, back to what we have, the the intellect controlling the mind and the sense organs, not the other way around, not the sense organs and the mind enveloping the intellect and completely taking it over, right? So um, I, I understand mindfulness to be the intellect being actively present.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Swami is. S.P.G. also says about focused, being focused all the day.
6: Sorry, Chitra, go ahead. I was just going to say, basically, that means we are meditating and that's what chapter 3 ends with, right? Is uh, to get away from desire, you need to control the mind, which is basically meditation. So being fully present at any point means you're meditating. No other thoughts are there. So yeah, I mean, true life in meditation. In
1: fact, on. To add to that, Chitra, um, you know, there is this whole sort of thing about, which is like a fad, which is multitasking, right? And, you know, I I read a beautiful article, I'll try and find it and circulate it, but it says there is nothing called multitasking. It is basically you're switching off and switching off, which means you're focused on only one thing. And it goes on to say something very sort of nicely, which is the intellect is intelligent, but the intellect can only do one thing at a time. Yeah. Right? And then kind of relates it to the fact that you know that is at the core of meditation which yeah. is to focus your thought on one single thing one right? thing yeah and so you know while we all kind of think we multitask which is like we've got like six things happening in our day, day you know we're trying to kind of figure out how to manage them but when we do something you just need to kind of switch off a bit of the other five and say okay this is what i'm focused on and 30 minutes later you're done with your meeting for example and then you say, okay, I'm now focused on something else. So the multitasking, the way we understand it is that we're trying to kind of do, you know, 10 things at the same time. No, we're doing like 10 things in a certain span. And then that's broken up into, you know, different slots where we're doing one thing at a time.
4: Absolutely. Yeah. In, yeah. in fact, meditation is defined uh, that way in the, in the sense, in the yoga, uh, if you look at yoga sutras, it it is basically the. Dharna, dhyana, samadhi. So getting the focus to one thing from many to one, and then let that build up into dhyana, where without effort, now it's focused on one. And eventually even that one thing drops off, and then you get into a state without that, right? So those are the kind of three stages, I mean, in terms of the definition of meditation from yoga perspective. So, and I think even when we engage um, in normal things, right? Um, when we are maybe in a meeting or Zoom and just like now, I mean, oftentimes we, uh, if we see ourselves doing other things while doing this, we, we actually at the end of it don't feel good and we feel tired at the end of it, actually. It, it brings us down as against being completely engaged um, with something and you'll see that that uplifts us, right? So uh, the more uh, the intellect is participating and the less dispersed we are in 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 terms of our attention right so um, I think we can see this very easily in whatever we do uh, when we start to engage and which one way of doing that would be to say be in the present moment be come back um, and do not engage with the thoughts or try not to engage with the thoughts yet another way would be to um, focus on something that's real which is which is why they at least on the buddhist side they say go back to the breath i mean that's that's one way of anchoring back to the present right just a reminder just one way one technique coming back to the present right so they're all kind of related one way or the other um and um, and and we can certainly see this in, in our own engagement with, uh, with different things
2: Another thing that nicely connected all this uh, for me in a strong way is uh, Swami Paramartananda, he gave like the five points. Uh, I think two or three weeks I uh, put it up in a group two. We can read forward. But one of the things is he says if you do things in a focused way and you like what you are doing with the karma yoga attitude, what you are doing actually becomes the whole reward for it. Your action becomes the very reward and you are happy about it. Absolutely. And he says that's like the only trick to ex, even escape prarabdha karma. That prarabdha karma only affects your karma phalam. What happens afterwards? What result? I did all my best, but still something else happened uh, that was not to my liking. That whole thing gets affected by prarabdha karma. And we don't need to worry. If we, if we did the action itself with a certain focused mind and our liking, then we already got the benefit out of it.
4: Exactly. Uh,
2: and tying this also, the one another shloka, the first answer Bhagavan gives, kama yesha krodha yesha and rajoguna uh, I thought that was very interesting. He mentioned two things, and Swami Chinmayananda says, but they are like the same versions of the two. Uh, so when we say desire, the reason why you should not have desire, I think that shloka explains that all other sins are kind of born from desire. So when desire is obstructed, it becomes anger. When desire expands beyond limits, it becomes Loba. And desire, when somebody else has something and I want that, then it becomes uh, lust or envy or jealousy and so on. So it's like all starts with that Kamaha as like the main thing. Then all the other sins are uh, born from that. And Swami Paramartananda in his lectures actually mentions a very nice uh, Sanskrit grammar point the Sanskrit language has uh, singular. So normally all languages have singular and plural. Uh, Sanskrit has singular, dual, and then plural. So if you do the Rama Shabda being Ramana we will be Ramaha, Ramo, Ramaha, Ramam, Ramo, Raman, and so on. So there's one Rama, there's two Rama, and then there's many Ramas. Also when you say Rama Lakshmanaha, you'll say Rama Lakshmanau, because then it's neither plural nor singular, it's dual. So use that term, right? So when uh, Lord Krishna is answering should have been because it's dual. There are two of them, right? So Swami P very funnily says either Krishna and Vyasacharya does not know Sanskrit grammar or there is something more hidden behind these messages. And that's why we need these gurus. And uh, Sri Shankaracharya explains this. The reason why it is still mentioned in singular is because they are two sides of the same coin. So there is only Kamaha, but just to kind of explain and make it obvious to mortals like us, he also explains, so Krodaha also is born and then we extrapolate all the other sins are also born from the same thing. So Kamaha is like the only thing. That is why it's that line, Eshaha and samudbhavaha is all both in uh, singular. And then yeah. Krodaha becomes a consequence of Kama obstructed.
1: Very cool. No, that was beautifully explained. Thank beautifully you. Beautifully explained. Yeah, thank you. Nice. So I have a. I have. A, I have a question on that, uh, on uh, Kroda, right? Uh, and and I'm referring to if you look at sort of the Mahabharata, uh, or or just our kind of scriptures, uh, not scriptures, our uh, kind of uh, you know, uh, what's it called? Puran. I mean all the all the Puranas. Sorry. Thank you. Uh, you know you have like sages like. Vishwamitra, right, or or Durvasa, right, who have sort of exhibited some serious amount of anger, right, and I don't know, I I don't know the stories in too much detail, so I don't want, to. I mean, the context might be missing in my head, but, you know, these are all sort of sages who apparently were very learned, and uh, I'm assuming they were enlightened or not, I don't know, but yeah, they were kind of further along, I'm assuming. But they exhibited a serious amount of krodha, you know, if you kind of, uh, you know, sort of trouble them or if you disrupt their sort of samadhi or whatever, they would give you some sort of, they'll get really angry, give you serious shrāpas, all that stuff, right? How does that work? I mean, you know, weren't they, did they, I mean, how did that sort of, is that krodha coming from some some other thing or is it like a desired dead krodha? I don't know.
0: So they say about Durvasa, all his shrāpas were actually for the benefit of the other person. It was never for the, for his benefit. Right. So it was to shake up the other person to get onto this path, or you know, for them, because he was enlightened. It never ma- mattered to him. Yeah,
1: but, but you know why? I mean, they also at least the puranas kind of the way they described it is that they would get seriously angry, which is Krodha, right? So I mean, giving every
0: case like, whenever he gave Shrappa was for the other person's benefit.
1: Yeah, but Krodha
0: why? It was his style. I don't know. But it was actually never. So, I think the the difference they say between Grahesti and all these people is that we ruminate about it later on. He would give shrap and he would be fine and he would go away. It's not that he will even think twice after giving the shrap that, oh, what did I do? And, you know, um, oh, what could have happened is that. It just gets cut there, and then they move on. Or so they give you
1: like an antidote as well sometimes, right? you feel, yeah, I can't yeah. take it back, but you know, do this. And... So
0: anger would come out of the swabhav, which has been the conditioning, can't but they change. don't keep thinking about it. We keep thinking about it. That's what is cause of a lot of problems as well.
1: Mm-hmm. Okay.
2: And the the other explanation I have heard is it's uh, again like setting as an example. Even if this can happen to one of these greatest self-realized souls, what are we mortals to make of it, right? So they kind of even end up making examples out of such very big souls to highlight: if you go down the wrong way, there will be consequences, or you will fall down. And and it can even happen to big souls. So you watch out. It happens even more very quickly, very quickly for us. Good
1: point. <laughs> Interesting.
2: Uh, Swami P also says, like, uh, in this cases, that's why there is uh, always one main message, and then there's like a lot of incidental smaller messages. And that's the reason he says, oh, read this with the Guru and then get the main purport of the message. I uh, will never forget, like, the, the main example he quotes, right? Like, uh, so Veda says, Matra Deva Bhava, Pitra Deva Bhava, Acharya Deva Bhava. And then immediately there are three counter examples. Uh, Parashudama's father says, kill your mother. And then he's not even a normal sage, right? He's an avatar. And then Pitra Devo Bhava Prahlada says Om Namo Narayanaya rather than worshipping his father. Uh, and then the Acharya Devo Bhava Drona asks Eklavya for his uh, thumb so he cannot do archery anymore. So if we just look at those three examples, then it will completely contradict with everything the Veda says. But there is like a bigger message. In the first case, obey your father. In the second case, align with the Lord and always think about the Lord, and in the third case, that I am not very clear about the Drona part, but just uh, like all this other message that that uh, he had the Sishya Bhavana, so that's the third thing. Like he he said, no matter what you ask, if I am a Sishya, then I have to do whatever you say. So those are the three highlights that we remember rather than the the flip side of what is uh, quickly obvious. Um.
6: So the message
0: has to be taken in context, not out of context. Correct. <laughs> yep. And also know the full story that even yeah. though Parashar killed his mom, the first boon he asked is, let let her be alive and not remember that I killed her. <laughs> so he knew <laughs> if I do what what he wants me to do, he will ask me, What do you want? <laughs> so
1: so just on this, uh, on these kind of uh, shlokas, so clearly the focus is very much on on, on karma and uh, krodha, is, as Krishna beautifully explained, is only the other side of the same thing. Uh, but in 63, which is, I think, what is sort of being elaborated, 62 maybe, uh, you know, it actually starts, you know, the whole sort of sort of ladder of fall is, as Swami Chinmayananda calls it starts with attachment and attachment then leads to desire. Yeah. But I didn't find much around attachment in these verses, but it seems like, you know, you've got to nip it in the attachment stage before it gets to a desire, isn't it? I mean, you know, you can't, you know, how, how do you kill desire? I mean, you know, obviously you've got to man. you know, you've got to, you know, control your mind, you've got to control your sense, sense, uh, uh, sense of organs, uh, you've got to have the discrimination power. All that is understood, but how does kind of so you know if you go take a step back? I mean, the desire happened because of an attachment, and how do you kind of is is the, is the is the is the medication the same for attachments as well?
2: I think if I understood the the cycle, the if you repeatedly keep thinking about a particular thing, then that attachment turns to desire.
1: Correct.
2: And that is when the downfall starts and the problem starts. So it's okay. Your sense organs will see different things. You will have a quick liking or disliking to it. But I think the recommendation is don't take it beyond that. And I think the earlier parts uh, that says, oh, these are all just the gunas. This is how it will be. That sense objects will attract the sense organs and it will respond. But don't take it beyond your mind. Recognize it at that point and stop. I think is how I understood.
1: So contemplation is inevitable. Uh, don't sort of contemplate over and over again because that will lead to attachment and then.
2: Correct. Combat. Correct. Correct.
4: But how will you not do that, right? I mean, that's where again the discrimination aspect comes in. To hmm. you know that, hey, you know what? Even if it happens again and again, the likes, you know, we 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 tend to get attached, or we there is more and more thoughts that say, yep, I like it, I like it, right? But then to counter that uh, like um, thought, the, the thought that says I like this or, or I dislike this is to counter it through discrimination by saying this is not going to lead to permanent um, joy and happiness, right? Because we know that it's not going to be permanent, right? So, so then the impact of that like is going to be lower and lower and eventually that attachment Uh, Also goes away, right? So that's a way of uh, reducing the vasanas in in that sense because these thoughts are being driven by the channels that have been formed inside through vasanas.
6: And also, if we are going to be practicing mindfulness, then you will not be thinking because you'll be in the present. You won't be thinking, oh, I liked something. That's the other (laughs) way.
4: Yeah, that's the other way. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, right now, right here.
6: I think it's also meditation right It's basically then you come back to the present all the time
4: yeah 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 i, I see it in that way uh, uh, of the intellect participating and being there right and and yeah and i think that's what swamiji meant by saying uh, intellect and mind are aligned um and that way it's participating at all times
0: third answer. So, uh, 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 Go ahead, ahead,
3: Ashish, sorry. I I just remembered on um, Ajay's point, I remembered uh, from one of the lectures, uh, I believe Swami SPG, uh, the the cycle is uh, agyan, leading to calm and then leading to karma. So uh, attachment is uh, a result of uh, agyan, not being able to discern that uh, uh, this is not going to bring me joy. And then that leads to desire and that leads to all the worldly actions. Right. So in, in that context, I think attachment is the beginning.
1: Yeah, this is like almost like a summary of Sadhana Chatushtaya, right? Viveka, yeah. Shama and
0: Dhamma, right? Or yeah. Dhamma and yeah. yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Swami, SPG gives third answer and he says, actually somebody raised the question that in second chapter you say that you need to be enlightened to Kill your desires and here you say you kill desires to be enlightened so it's a where do you start from so he yeah. says <laughs> that's why actually bhakti is another way so turn all your desire channelize all your desires towards god right. it'll, it'll help you break the cycle that's one answer as well <laughs> in addition so to absurd. yes you can use gyan obviously the vivek to do it karma yoga doesn't matter it is my duty, I have to do it, whatever needs to be done. So you can use any of the yogas or you know, but uh, actually a bhakti is a very powerful way as well.
4: Then finally, um, the ends, well not I wouldn't call it the end state. the, the more evolved state would then be that of uh, dispassion, right which is what is when the desire um, when these attachments go down, um through through this process or a continuous uh, process or a period of time then vairagyam develops right and again coming back to the southern chaturshram so discrimination eventually leading to dispassion right because when i when we say discrimination the intellect is involved and it's it's giving you you're constantly reminding yourself hey you know what why are you going after this because it's not going to give you that permanent joy that you're seeking so that eventually causes the attachment and the desire from that to be less and and less and less, right? Eventually leading to a more dispassionate. I mean, it, it, well, we shouldn't call it dispassionate, but um, uh, um, leading to vairagyam. Let's use the word vairagyam, right? So um, I think that also is a good connection back to In
1: that sense, uh, Pishore, vairagyam should be the third, not the second one, right? Or not, I don't know.
4: Is, is it? Um,
1: is it, the wave, uh, and then the, the six uh, six fold things right the shamadama etc so I, I, oh, right. oh. I mean i also thought that once you control your mind and your senses so you first you know what's the uh, permanent and non-permanent then you sort of use that to control your mind and this is futile and that gives you sort of the dispassion Whereas That's right, yeah. part of the other one. I, I don't know maybe But the, that would be the
4: mechanism right mean, it... yeah, i mean i
1: that's what that sounds like sequentially the way to go here
4: Correct. And then Vairagyam d- would be like a prerequisite actually for Gyan uh, to actually come in. And even if you knew it, if, yeah, like intellectually, but for that to seep in, Vairagyam would be a, a prerequisite.
0: Yeah. Another on desires is, actually we think there are lots of desires, but they can be categorized into three. So the first desire is actually because we are sat. We are existence ourselves. So we have a desire to live, always live. live and it is the desire to live in Sanskrit is known as Jiji visha. So that's first desire. The second fundamental desire is desire to know because we are actually consciousness. Consciousness is that you know because that is our core nature. So we have that desire because we only desire for things that are achievable. We never desire for things which are not achievable. So, so the two desires that we covered are jiji visha to always live, and we are existence ourselves. So we actually always live, but we don't know. But still, we have that desire to always live. Then desire to know, and then the third desire is bubuksha. Bubuksha is hunger for any desire. Bubuksha um, is hunger for anything, right? and That actually comes from anantam or bliss because we are fulfilled and there's nothing that can fulfill us more. So we are actually fulfilled but because we don't know we have this desire to fulfill or desire to have something. So actually all desires can be categorized amongst one of these three. (laughs) So it's interesting to know otherwise we think like there are so many desires this and that. No, there are only three desires. And these three desires actually germinate from our nature of Satchidananda. And we are that. So what are these
2: desires? Mm-hmm. Beautifully said. Beautifully said. Interesting. Wow. I think that's why we always want to kind of go back to that equilibrium, because we are Satchidananda. Because you are Satchidananda. <laughs> yes. So you want to get
0: there. Yeah. yeah.
2: So you said Jivisha,
1: boksha, and what's the middle
0: one? Jivisha, jigyasa to jigyasa. know.
1: Yeah,
2: yeah, okay. And Bubuksha. Those are the
0: only My three
2: guys.
3: <laughs> Very nice. The other
2: way I have heard this map is that uh, we always do this because we want happiness. Because we are uh, eternally, uh, we are happy. And hence, Anandaha. So hence, whatever we do kind of maps because we think it will give me happiness. And the reason we go for it is because we are happiness, but we Intermittently uh, associate a lot of other things, thinking that that is what's going to give happiness, but not. But it's the the very knowledge that you are infinite happiness is what it truly is. Yeah.
1: How does how does uh, the Jigyasa correlate to chit?
0: Consciousness, consciousness. What is consciousness? It is right. the one which knows the knowledge, the the jnanas. Ah, yes. <laughs> mm. So we are the knowledge itself. Mm. but we want to know because we don't know that we are the knowledge ourselves got it, thank you, very nice
2: we are at 7.30 so I thought I will finish like one short point on uh, bhakti yeah. being uh, ramanomi and lord anuman, so there is this beautiful the tamil uh, ramainam is called kamba ramainam named after kambal, this is beautiful shloka that goes anjale on anjale on and it goes like that, uh, but I won't recite that But the meaning is very beautiful. It goes like uh, born of one of the five, flew through one of the five, jumped over one of the five, met somebody else born one of the five and set the land with one of the five. That's how it very roughly translates to. And if you look at those are the five elements. He was born from wind and he jumped. He flew through space, which is one of the five elements. He jumped over water, which is one of the five. And he met Sita, who is born of the earth, which is one of the five. And then he set Lanka on fire, which is one of the five
3: elements.
1: Wow, so the <laughs> nice. Element nice. Very cool. Thank
0: and you. I think we pretty much covered all the shlokas. I was just looking through it. Um, just the one which we, I think, did discuss that um, indriyas are more powerful than the body and then mm, man is more powerful than the indriya and then the buddhi is more powerful than the mana. That's the the chain to control.
4: Going back to the chariots again.
0: Yeah, yeah. 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 <laughs> so I think we covered it, but it was a particular shloka as well. Yeah. So I think with that, yeah, we pretty much
5: covered everything.
0: I, I like the explanation of 40, where they said to defeat an enemy, we, should, we need to find out where the enemy resides, and hence yes. that shloka on that. <laughs>
1: I felt good about this last uh, sequence of uh, shlokas because I have to say, uh, this is a question which has been on my mind forever. And I feel like, you know, if Arjuna asked it and I also thought about it, I feel nice about it. (laughs) (laughs) In fact, the presentation that we had made like a year and a half back had actually put that as a question. And uh, so to get it answered, like verbatim, if you will, was fabulous.
0: Right like in the last shloka he uses the word Mahabaho for Arjuna. Mahabaho is mighty arms. So you can you know defeat the <laughs> the enemy <anime> calm. <laughs> so he uses that that particular. It's very interesting how he uses you know different names for Arjuna in different contexts and how relevant they are. Okay, so next week we are going to share our small learnings everyone i think just anything very free flow and you know we don't need to prepare slides or anything but just you know any aha moment from the from any of the speakers that will do it's it's very nice to actually hear everyone's learnings so so we'll do that next week anything else anyone I think most of the talking we were doing, Panjini, Muku, Rajiv, didn't say anything at all, and Manu and Ashish, barely.
6: We're saving it for next week, Alpana.
0: Okay. <laughs> all right. <laughs> all right, we'll say the prayers. Asatoma, Satkamaya, Jyotirgamaya. With your
5: amritam gamaya. Om Shanti Shanti Shanti. Om Sri Gurukula
0: Maharishi Om. Have a lovely week ahead.
3: Beautiful, everybody. You.
0: Thank you. Thank you, yeah. everyone.
3: Bye. Thank you.